I'm going to take a few minutes and give you some of the background from Luke's gospel about what we've just seen the children portray for us. Outside, there is an overflow area with, uh, where the audio is for everything that's happening from this point on. There's also coloring books out there, and there's some little other little toys and stuff. So if you would like to take your child, you can. You don't have to. It's up to you. But if that make you more comfortable, feel free. But what I want to do now is give you, from the Gospel of Luke, four truths about the meaning of the story that we've just seen laid out. And so, children, if you could be learning, there's four truths you're going to want to walk away with, and during lunch today, you can see if your parents remembered them. Kids are much better at remembering than us older folks, so see if you can remember these four truths from Luke's Gospel. Now, first of all, who was Luke? Luke was a medical doctor. He wrote the gospel according to Luke, which he says in the first four verses of chapter 1 was based on eyewitness accounts. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he gives us four crucial truths he wants us to understand. The first one is this, Jesus' birth really happened. Now think about it. If you were going to tell a, a legend or a myth or a fairy tale, you'd start it off with something like, once upon a time, or how does Star Wars open? It's like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's how you'd start a makeup story. That's not how Luke starts the Christmas story. Look at verses 1 and 2, and your Bibles will have it up here on the screen. Here's how he starts. He says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So Luke wants us to understand when these events took place. They took place in history, when Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome and when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So Luke wants us to understand from the very beginning, this wasn't a legend or a myth or a fairy tale, Jesus' birth actually happened. Can you repeat that after me? Jesus' birth actually happened. Your kids are going to ask you, so better remember. Okay, second truth. Jesus' birth fulfilled ancient prophecies. In chapter 1 of Luke, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, who's a virgin, and says to her that she, as a virgin, is going to miraculously become pregnant by God's supernatural power, and that then she will give birth to the Messiah. And just as the angel said, that's exactly what happened. Mary got pregnant. And at this time, Mary and Joseph, her fiancé, were living in Nazareth, 170 kilometers north of Bethlehem. Now, 700 years before, the prophet Micah had said that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph were living 170 kilometers north in Nazareth. The, the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. So what did God do? God had Caesar Augustus declare a census to be taken, and everyone in the whole Roman Empire had to return to their town of birth where they could register for tax reasons. And so what happens? We can see it in Luke chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, 170 kilometers south, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So where was the Messiah born? In Bethlehem. After God had moved Caesar to have everybody return to their hometown, and Mary and Joseph traveled 170 kilometers south. And there are dozens of other ancient Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So the first truth is Jesus' birth really happened. The second truth is Jesus' birth fulfilled ancient prophecies. The third truth is that Jesus' birth was for all of us, everyone who would trust him. Because you might think that since Jesus was the Messiah, he'd been foretold for thousands of years in the Old Testament scriptures. All the people of Israel were longing for him to come, waiting for him to come, praying for him to come. You might think that someone of such importance would have been born just for the wealthy, for the politically connected, for the powerful. But that's not what we see. Look at verse 7. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, don't feel sorry for Jesus here. John Piper mentions, I think this is very astute as an observation, that if the God who could move Caesar Augustus to declare a census so that everyone in the Roman Empire went to the town of their birth, if God can do that, then surely he can make room in a manger for Jesus. This was no accident. This was no what's happening here. This was God's plan. It was God's plan that Jesus end up being born in a, a barn or a cave and that he be laid in a manger. Now, the word manger is a word we don't use very often. It's a feeding trough for animals. It would have been dirty. There would have been slobber over it. It would have just like been really kind of a gunky place. But see, God planned for this to happen because he wanted us to have this picture in our mind. Jesus, the Son of God, who was fully God, equal to the Father and the Spirit in every way, who had always been from eternity past with no beginning, who lowered himself, lowered himself, lowered himself, lowered himself to become a man, to be born as a baby, and the, the picture of that lowness is of him being in a manger. The point of that is to help us see how low God was coming so that his birth would be for all of us, no matter how weak, no matter how um, unpopular, no matter how sinful, no matter how guilty, no matter how poor, no matter how needy, Jesus' birth is for all of us. And that's also seen in verses 8 and 9. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. So here's the public announcement of the Messiah's birth. The angel had gone to Zechariah in chapter 1 of Luke. The angel had gone to Mary in chapter 1 of Luke. Now the angel is going to make a public announcement of the birth of the Messiah. And who does the angel publicly first make this announcement to? God said to the angel, see those shepherds? Go to them. They are going to receive the angelic public announcement of Jesus, the Savior's birth. And so the angel went to the shepherds. Now, shepherds were lowly. 
Shepherds were, in many ways, outcasts of the society. The angel made this announcement to the shepherds. So Jesus was born in a stable, a barn, a cave, laid in a manger. The shepherds received the announcement. The shepherds can come, and that's a beautiful picture that all of us can come to the manger. All of us can come to Jesus. If he'd been born in an inn, the shepherds probably couldn't have gotten in there to see him. He was born in a cave, barn, stable, laid in a manger. Every one of us can come to Jesus and receive him as our Savior. So first truth, Jesus' birth really happened. Are you learning this? Jesus' birth really happened. Second truth, Jesus' birth fulfilled ancient prophecies. Third truth, Jesus' birth is for all of us. And then the last truth is, Jesus' birth brought us our Savior. Verses 10 and 11, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I think the most important word in those verses is the word Savior. Jesus came to be our Savior. Now, if you need a Savior, that means there's something you need to be saved from. And this is the most important truth we need to understand about ourselves. We need a Savior, and we have a Savior. What do we need to be saved from? Our sin. The Bible teaches that God created each of us with love and care so that we would have the joy of knowing Him, worshiping Him, trusting Him forever. That's why you are here on planet Earth. All of us have rebelled against God, turned our backs on God, walked away from God, dishonored God in that way, and because God is infinitely glorious and because we have infinitely offended, wronged, profaned, desecrated Him, we have an infinite penalty we need to pay, which is what hell is all about. But God loves us. God cares about us. And God sent Jesus to be born as a baby, to grow up, and to go to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus was punished for all the sins of all those who would put their trust in him. Jesus can save us from sin's guilt and sin's power by what he did in dying on the cross and rising from the dead. So here's four truths. Jesus' birth really happened. Jesus' birth fulfilled ancient prophecies, dozens of them. Jesus' birth is for all of us. And Jesus' birth brings us a Savior. So here's where I want to encourage you. We've seen the children do the performance cute kids. This is really fun. It's a beautiful display of what actually happened 2,000 years ago in history. But don't leave just thinking cute kids. You can think that, but please don't leave just thinking cute kids. Don't leave thinking warm Christmas feelings. We love warm Christmas feelings. But please leave thinking there's a Savior. I need a Savior. I can have a Savior. And if you're not trusting Jesus Christ, here's what he will do. When you turn and put your trust in him and you trust him to forgive you for all your sins, past, present, and future, you trust him to change you, he does the heavy lifting. He does the work. He changes our hearts. We come to him as we are. He will change us. 
Forgive us, change us, and you trust him to satisfy you with the joy of his presence, he will do that. You will leave here completely forgiven, that weight of guilt gone, the love of God pouring in upon you, your heart changing, you'll feel that change start to take place, and you will taste the joy you were created to know that you've never found since you've turned from God. So if you're not trusting Jesus, trust him. Trust him. And if you are trusting Jesus, those of you who already know the joy of having him as your Savior, look afresh at his love in lowering himself, stable, barn, manger, shepherds. He loves us that much. See his love. And I just want to encourage you. Some of you are, are in fear and worry. See his love and trust his love. You can trust Jesus and commit afresh to serving him, commit afresh to knowing him, commit afresh to loving him, commit afresh to living for his glory if you're already trusting Jesus Christ. So let's stand together. I want to pray this for us. Worship team can come on up. Father, I pray that you would bring your power upon us and touch each heart that's here. We're in different places spiritually, different spiritual backgrounds, different religions. But Lord, we've seen the truth of your word. We've seen that you have sent us the Savior that we need, your Son, Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that right now you'd bring the truth of who Jesus is to every heart. I pray that you'd soften hearts right now. I pray that you'd break down walls. I pray that you would set us free from any lies or deception. I pray that each of us here would see Jesus Christ with clarity and power and love right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray for those who've not yet put their trust in Jesus. Lord, right now, move their hearts to trust Jesus Christ and give them the forgiveness and the heart change and the joy that you promise. And Lord, those of us who are already trusting Jesus, strengthen our trust in Christ right now. Strengthen our confidence in Jesus, our love for Jesus, our passion to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. So we praise you for the gift of your Son. And we want to rejoice now in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.